Dunkin' Holder is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Say you want to go to that big Saints 49ers game coming up on December 8th. You know that's going to be a very difficult ticket to buy. Well, you've got to use game time because it's going to be your best option to find those best last-minute deals. Game time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the game time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder back at you here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you. If you're listening to this podcast, you're either doing so through theathletic.com, which, of course, we appreciate. You go check out all of our episodes, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Or Mondays are typically our freebie bonus episodes. So you can go check that out, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, do all that good stuff and fun times. And Jeff and I covered what was good times, crazy times, bad times. And then it all turned out to be swell for the Saints as they beat the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, 34-31. to And that game originally seemed like it could become a comfortable win for the Saints. And yet Carolina, uh, pesky as they are, and I'm sure people are still screaming about officiating and uh, I don't think that's ever going to stop. And uh, and Jeff, I just think when you're you're looking back at this game, there's so many different twists and turns, mistakes by the Saints, uh, shady uh, officiating on some calls, I, I would say. And then yet again, say like in week one, when officiating was a question, the Saints managed to come back drive down the field, kick a field goal to win it at the gun, and the Saints were able to do that on Sunday. And when you look back at this, this is going to be a pretty significant win given what happened uh, Sunday night with the 49ers beating the Packers, uh, with the looming matchup after Thanksgiving uh, when you take on the 49ers, and yet uh, this could have been a game where the the Saints could have let it slip away, and, and they did not. Yeah, I mean, they were really fortunate to win, Larry. I mean, you and I were in the press box thinking this was going to be an easy game to write. It was going to be a blowout. It looked that way early. And then credit to Carolina. They 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 kept fighting. They kind of flipped the momentum. And then it was just a free-for-all. The fourth quarter was crazy. And the Saints, once again, it was very similar to that Cleveland Browns game a year ago or two years ago. I can't remember now. I've lost track of it all when, when the kicker missed a bunch of Easy extra points and chip shot field goals and really opened the door for the Saints to come back and win the game. And I really felt like they took advantage of it uh, as one that they easily could have let slip away. Drew Brees in the two-minute drill executes like he always does. And Will Lutz nails the game winner. And I know we're going to get into officiating later. And I think I just want to be clear early on. I think you and I both are in the same boat on this. Uh, We don't get into 
uh, blaming officials, harping on officials. I think we have the same philosophy on that. It's it's kind of high school hairy in my in my book uh, to talk about officiating because I really believe it it balances out their human beings. I think the officiate officials get a bad rap. I actually think they're probably better than they've ever been. They're certainly more scrutinized than they've ever been. So so the the complaints that you're going to hear from me and in our discussion later on are probably not going to be about uh, referee Al, Alex Kemp and his crew missing calls. It's going to be more about the process that the NFL has instituted and tried to implement in trying to correct the calls on the field. And that's where I think it's flawed right now. It's the process more than the human being's uh, because every human being, you, me, fans, coaches, we all make mistakes. Officials are going to miss calls in this league. But there's a, a process now that's been implemented that the rules were changed to try and fix that. And it's just not being enforced properly. I would agree in the fact that they have added way too many things at this point that reviewable or not reviewable or I don't know the philosophy of the league uh, about offensive pass interference or defensive pass interference and changing no calls and keeping calls and I think the fact that uh, that I I assume that that rule is going to go away after this year I'm I'm convinced now more than ever that it's going to be one and done Uh, and I'll go through the process because people want to know because I'm the one who talks to Al River on every time something like this happens and I think people would like to know the process of how that works and so we'll kind of go through that later on in the show but Jeff uh, I I did uh, an interview uh, a, a local TV interview yesterday after the game and while harping on officials harping on officials I had to make sure to spin it back look the Saints overcame any of these official issues and won again I mean that's to me what you need to take away from this could they have let it slip away yes did Carolina's kicker is he is he's probably still walking back to Charlotte right now because he missed two extra points and a chip shot field goal yes or he's like trying to find an old U.S. Airways plane that doesn't exist anymore to get back to the Charlotte hub but the fact that the Saints won and overcame it I mean, that's just some of the things that you have to navigate in the NFL. I mean, it, it's not like this only happens to the Saints uh, with officiating things. You've got to be able to overcome this. And the Saints are a talented enough, resilient enough team to where these things can happen and then they overcome them. And it's almost, Jeff, our, our own Catherine Terrell kind of went through that final drive in detail, or fourth quarter really in detail, but that final drive and it's when you need your playmakers to make plays, they did it. Drew Brees made the plays. Michael Thomas made the plays. Alvin Kamara made the plays. And the kicker who you trust, Will Lutz, he came through in the clutch and won the game. And so all of this talk that's never going to end about officiating because of just what we've seen throughout the league and with the Saints over the past, say, 12 months, really. Uh, the big story to me is that they won and they move on, and now they've got to take on a tougher Atlanta Falcons team. Uh, you know, after the last time we saw them in the dome and on, on short rest and Thanksgiving night. Well, and I think also, Larry, it's a it's a credit to if we want to pull back the prism or the lens on the Saints and take a a big picture view of what transpired yesterday. I think it's a credit to the entire organization because uh, you know they they fixed a lot of the things that 
I think we're hindering the team and, and forcing them to be like a 500 team. And what I mean by that is, that, for instance, Will Lutz, right? That that signing has paid off. The Saints have no issues at kicker. They were one of the teams that had kicker issues. Clearly, Carolina has kicker issues. We we saw Chicago go through a kicker issue. I mean, there are a lot of teams around the league trying to find a kicker. The Saints fixed a problem years ago. They don't have that problem anymore. They won a game basically yesterday because they have a better kicking game than Carolina. And that goes back to some other things. Uh, you know, they lost their left tackle, Taron Armstead, in the game pretty early. You had a left side of the line that was completely new. Nick Easton and Patrick Omame. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sounds about right. Uh, yeah, you know, they, they were able to overcome that. I mean, Carolina lost their left tackle, too, in the game. Um, but these things that have hampered other teams around the league, the Saints, because they're so proactive – because of their attention to detail in management <clears throat> from, from the coaching staff to the front office, uh, they are able to absorb these setbacks, bad officiating calls, injuries, and overcome them and win. That wasn't always the case here, but they certainly have it all locked down now, and it's resulted in a 9-2 and two start when really we all feel like, and I think you would agree, the Saints aren't playing their best football right now. I mean, they've got a lot of things to clean up. They had a lot of issues in that game yesterday that led to the comeback by Carolina. And as Sean Payton and Drew Brees both said, if they don't get it cleaned up, they're not going to go far in the playoffs. They're not going to beat a team like San Francisco. We, we saw last night just dismantle Green Bay. Um, they're not playing at that level right now. They have too many mistakes at too many different areas. Well, I'll start with – Positive momentum, I'll, and then we'll go into all of the mistakes because they were very plentiful. Uh, Saints induced mistakes, but the when we thought looking at the first quarter, oh my gosh, the Saints' offense is back. First two drives, they put together touchdowns. We haven't seen that. I don't know. It's been a long, 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 long time when the Saints' offense really just started clicking and rolling. Starts off with the Latavius Murray touchdown. Then Traquan Smith is wide open, touchdown. Then they have the blown coverage, and that's been a rarity uh, that we've seen this year where D.J. Moore is open, uh, runs past P.J. Williams. Who knows if Marcus Williams was supposed to help him or not. Regardless, it was a breakdown by uh, one of the two or both of them, and that got Carolina back in the game. But then, you know, Saints put together another scoring drive and get a field goal, and you it seemed like Carolina was able to hang around, hang around, and some of those mistakes that you looked at. Uh, the first one that really came up was the Cam Jordan mistake. I mean, he's yep. you, you see the official right there, and uh, the narrative in the moment in time, people jumping the gun nationally or with the Panthers fans, oh my gosh, he's trying to punch him in the head. I'm like, that's moronic. <laughs> that is a stupid moronic take. Why would Cam Jordan just randomly go deck a guy in the face? I mean, that's that's silly. He's trying to go after the ball. Uh, he was definitely too aggressive. He owned up to the mistake. He had to. And sorry, you and me know Cam Jordan, and he's not that type of let me go off the hinge and just punch a guy in the head. That's silly. So, But look, that was like mistake one of several we saw, not just, Jeff, from a player standpoint. Sean Payton admitted some of those Play, one of the play calls fourth down late in the game. I mean, so it went from Cam Jordan made a mistake, Drew Brees made a mistake, Sean Payton made a mistake. These were your big time guys making mistakes, and so they have to be accountable too. Just like 
uh, anyone else uh, who is not as high profile. You're big time people made mistakes yesterday that nearly cost you the game. Yeah, Sean Payton tore into Drew Brees when he came off the field after that interception. I mean, he threw into coverage. It was a very unbreeze-like play. And um he got a, you know, he got an earful from Peyton and Peyton owned some of the play calls, which I I was mystified by myself in the press box. The short yardage calls um just were not very creative. Uh really on both sides of the ball. I mean Carolina a lot of their short yardage calls were trying to run up the middle. Uh, you know, there just wasn't a lot of creativity on either side of the ball. But Sean Payton obviously needs to be better in those situations because that could have helped extend drives, gave Carolina a lot of short fields to work with, and really helped flip the momentum to Carolina. So uh, it was just a sloppy game all the way around. The officiating added to it. I mean, the Saints had 12 penalties. Uh, that's been a season-long issue, and I don't know where all that's come from, Larry. Last year, they were one of the least penalized teams in the league, and this year, they're getting penalties all over the place. Uh, you and I laugh about it, but like they've got to lead the league in hands to the face, and that's not can't be by accident. That's got to be something that's being coached in a technique that they've got to get corrected. Their hands are too high. They're sliding up under the, the, the face mask of players, and they're going to call that every time. It's a point of emphasis, and it's killing the Saints on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Uh, so those things, um, if they don't get them fixed, uh, they're not going to win some of these close games down the stretch when they're playing better teams. Yeah, I would agree. And you look at this is – let's see, they've had – this is the fourth game this year they've had double-digit penalties, and they've had two other games where they've had – nine penalties so this isn't just some oh my gosh people are thinking conspiracy blah 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 you we hear this all the time I just think it's undisciplined in a lot of these cases holding calls some may be shaky in some instances others they are I mean when's the last time you've seen offsides everyone except the center. I mean, that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's a first. Yes, and that, that, that just goes to show you that uh, while they got plenty of good things to talk about, that's just a silly, bad mistake. And uh, look, past interferences and this, that, and the other, and you, we could question it all, but most of these penalties, the vast, vast, vast majority of the penalties – are legit. All of those hands to the face penalties, those are all legit. I've never heard Sean Payton gripe about any of them because they're all legit. And Jeff, I, it's it's something crazy. But uh, but you know, you, you look at just. I'll just go back to the first half. Let's kind of shy away from penalties because I know we're, we're going to continue to kind of dive into that. I know uh, you have a column up that's going to be diving into that as well. But Jeff, just even look at the first half and what let. Carolina back into the game. I mean, you had a breakdown in coverage, DJ Moore, and then along the goal line, hmm, who's the one guy you should probably account for? Christian McCaffrey. He just rolls out wide open, no one around him. How do you not account for that guy, the potential of him maybe going out on a pass route? That to me was like, what? What? what is going on here? So it's it's not just penalties. It's it's breakdowns that we've seen that keep Saints in games and have cost the Saints a game or two this year. Yeah, I didn't think the defense had one of its better games yesterday in any way. I didn't think the game plan was that good. They they slowly adjusted, I think, the 
Christian McCaffrey. I mean, that's a guy. Remember in the Super Bowl, Larry, when the Saints were playing the Colts and they had Peyton mic'd up? I remember him yelling at Greg Williams and and the defensive coaches on the sidelines because um, I'm trying to think. Was it Dallas Clark, the tight end for the Colts then? Yes. I think it was. Yeah. Dallas Clark was, you know, one of their best players. I remember him barking, we can't let their best player beat us. That's like a cardinal sin for the defense. I remember him barking that and the mic'd up. And that's that's a principle that Sean Payton has always adhered to. I think it's a Bill Parcells, uh, you know, Parcellsism. You don't let the best player on the other team beat you. You take him out of the game. Well, the Saints did not do that yesterday. I mean, Christian McCaffrey was doing everything. Maybe it's harder harder to do when you're a running back and you can get the ball on handoffs and swing plays out of the backfield. But they sometimes just didn't seem to even have anyone accounting for him. And I don't know how that happens. Um, they limited him to big, uh, limited his big plays. I mean, he didn't have anything uh, break loose, so they tackled well for the most part on him. Uh, but they gave up a couple big plays over the top, two fifty-yard pass plays, which have been uncharacteristic of this defense. So the defense uh, did not have a, a, one of its better games. I thought Kyle Allen played really well for Carolina, um, but I think they let him get comfortable. And once he got momentum, you could kind of tell that uh, Norv Turner said, look, we got a hot quarterback we're going to ride. Yeah, look, they were able to slow down McCaffrey in the running game, in the ground game. Uh, heck, Curtis Samuel, the, on those sweeps, th- that was kind of the thing that really hampered the Saints on their run defense uh, bec- and, and makes the numbers skewed. I mean, he had four carries, 40 yards. Christian McCaffrey had 22 carries for only 64 yards, and his longest run was nine yards. So they were able to shut down run lanes. But you're right, they let Kyle Allen – Get hot. Jeff, I didn't even realize this in the first half. Kyle Allen's QB rating was 135.6. Now, the big touchdown pass, that helped. But they didn't. They sacked him three times in the first half, but still 14 of 18. And then, yeah, they let him get comfortable. I, I totally agree with you there. And so that's something that the Saints did a good job of preventing last week with Jameis Winston. And you would have thought maybe the Saints would have done a better job of that against Kyle Allen. Remember last week, he came in uh, to this game having thrown four picks. And people were wondering, well, time might be up for Kyle Allen as the next quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. But, uh, you know, you, you look at this game and you, I know the Saints are 9-2. and two, And I know a lot of people like that the Saints are 9-2. and two, But I do think, Jeff, that if you talk to Saints fans... They're, they had some worries, and I think rightfully so. I think they should have some worries, uh, even though they've their record is one of the best in the NFL. Yeah, there, there's too many things going wrong. They got a short week this week. Uh, I think Atlanta losing to Tampa Bay that, at home, that, that was really surprising. Uh, but I think everyone – Saints fans are smart, man. They, they, they've seen good teams. They know what a good team looks like. They've seen championship-level football and they know right now the Saints are not playing at that level. Now, they're missing some key parts. Obviously, Lattimore's absence has been big on the back end. I think they're just trying to survive on the back end until he gets back because he creates a domino effect there. Uh, the, the thing that worries me a little bit is they're, they're not really getting the pressure that I thought they would get with this front four. Uh, they're doing a lot of things up front. But uh, I thought Carolina blocked them up pretty well yesterday. They got some pressure a little bit. Allen made some plays. I'd like to see that front four just get there more often. I mean, I know that's simple to say, but it's like they're always almost there. (laughs) They're never really quite getting there. 
And I think for this team to become a championship team, the front four has got to realize its potential. We saw Marcus Davenport make a big sack at a critical time yesterday. Uh, they need more of that, I think, to get to the next level. When you watched San Francisco last night, and you and I were together watching that game, I mean, San Francisco's front is a monster. I mean, they are in there. They were dominating Green Bay up front, made life a living hell for Aaron Rodgers. We don't see that quite enough from the Saints front four, and I think they've got to do that to, to, to get to where they want to go. Now, maybe we do speak a little differently on that in this game if, say, DeMario Davis's sack is not eliminated by the roughing the passer penalty by Cam Jordan. Yeah. Because Davis, 10-yard loss on third and 16, would have been fourth down, Carolina punts. Instead, Carolina holds the ball the entire rest of the half, the next three and a half minutes, and gets a touchdown with three seconds left. So if the self-inflicted wound doesn't happen, maybe we're we're speaking a little differently because maybe the Saints get the ball and go score a touchdown on that drive and really put the game away. And so uh, you cannot have these self-inflicted wounds that we've seen. And that was, there's nothing you can point to to defend what that was. And so that was a critical change in the game. And then Carolina gets the ball back. Now they don't score. And so, you know, that's a big swing there. They go three and out, and then the Saints get the touchdown to Jared Cook. Uh, but still, we talk about these self-inflicted wounds. Now, I bring up Jared Cook. We, we got to mention him. Like he, we've been waiting for him to really break out, break out. And I think that you're seeing, starting to see the potential there uh, with Jared Cook. I mean, Drew Brees is finding confidence in him. He's going up, and make the big catches, and look. I mean, this because this is eventually going to spin into the offensive pass interference call that was called on him, and then not reversed. And but. I would say overall, Jeff, you're really starting to see the Jared Cook that maybe the Saints hoped for at the beginning of the season. Yeah, he's, he's scored a touchdown now in four of five games. I don't think it's coincidental that that's also about the same time that Drew Brees has come back. Uh, he clearly is utilizing him as an option. And uh, Ron Rivera, Larry, talked about it afterwards. I mean, they made an adjustment, uh, I think, after the first quarter defensively to start uh, taking Mike Thomas out of the game. And by doing that, they left themselves vulnerable. And that's why we saw uh, Breeze start dialing up the big plays to Ted Ginn. They had a couple chances there. They almost connected. Uh, Ginn couldn't quite come down with them. And also how he was able to exploit one-on-one matchups with Jared Cook. So that's just the classic pick-your-poison that defensive coordinators are going to face when they play the Saints. You're either going to play them straight up, and Mike Thomas and Alvin Kamara are probably going to eat you alive, or you're going to start double-teaming, bracketing those guys, and someone else has got to step up. And we saw Cook, uh, he's starting to do that. That's why they brought him in here, and it's a great sign, I think, of things to come because you know people are going to continue to pay attention to Mike Thomas. And it seemed like, and I wrote about this after the game, like I monitored every snap that Mike Thomas basically lined up. I watched him with my binoculars from the press box instead of the rest of the play. So what I saw early was that Michael Thomas catches two passes uh, and typically uh, I'd say almost every time Michael Thomas was on one side of the field, James Bradbury, their corner was. He was either defending him or 
thinking he's going to defend him, and instead he lines up maybe on the inside and puts their nickel corner on him. But they wanted Bradbury around him at all times. And uh, toward the end of the game, I don't know if Bradbury wore down or what, but uh, some of the some of the times he quit following him across the formations, and then uh, look, he beat Bradbury on the slant, juked him. Uh, uh, that was one of the big time spots where Mike Thomas was more open than he had been in other situations where he's still catching passes, but. Uh, there's yards of separation you could see and maybe he you know it finally wore down on him and of course in that final drive Mike Thomas catches the big deep ball uh, on third down uh, and he was even more open than he thought he would be and that just goes to show you that look you could try to take away Mike Thomas and and maybe Carolina tried but crunch time you can't and it's it's remarkable I keep waiting for the law of averages to catch up and Mike Thomas is, he is the law of averages. He's the law and everyone else is average. He's got 104 catches, 1,242 yards, six touchdowns, uh, unprecedented numbers through 11 games. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, yesterday he had, what was it, six catches for 49 yards in the first quarter uh, it, it, every week. And, and, you know, the other thing I think that's um, – kind of underrated about Mike Thomas is he's never hurt. I mean, the guy plays every week. He produce, Not only does he produce, but he's out there. You know, a lot of receivers in and out of the lineup, we see that position takes a lot of big hits in the secondary. This guy is very durable. And when you pay somebody big money like that, uh, you know, lots of times you see a drop-off. We haven't seen any drop-off in production, durability. He's not taking plays off. He's out there. Uh, that's what you want out of your guys that you're paying and – um, he's rewarding that investment handsomely. He's been, been having another all-pro year. The Saints have never had in their history an all-pro first-team receiver, I think, since Danny Abramowitz back like in the second season of the organization. And now you're going to have a guy make it uh, back-to-back years, no question. Absolutely. And, uh, and Jeff, I guess it's time to spin over to the officiating, which uh, even my wife was wondering if I was going to be writing about the officiating because that's all she saw on social media. And Jeff, I guess let's start with the offensive pass interference call on Jared Cook. And he even seemed after the game a little mystified that he doesn't even know what the officials are looking for anymore. And uh, his argument was, look, a guy's got his hands on me. I'm just trying to get his hands off of me. And it really seemed like a soft call that shouldn't have been called in the first place and yet it was challenged and stayed the same and I'm sure Sean Payton probably felt that that would happen and so uh, he and then he had to go challenge the call on on the punt return uh, not knowing that that would happen right away and then he's out of challenges but still uh, you know I, I think Sean Payton's philosophy on that one is this is a big game. Might as well give it a shot. It's really touchy. Uh, but obviously the officiating thought it was not. And here are the buzzwords that we'll talk about here in a second. Clear and obvious that Cook did not interfere, which I just thought the call was ticky-tack in the first place. Well, I think what, you know, reading a lot that's been written about this uh, this year, and there's been a lot, it's been documented pretty heavily, what 
the the issue I think fans, coaches, players are having is just the arbitrary nature of the enforcement. Uh, some calls are overturned, some aren't. You know, some are upheld, some aren't. I mean, it's it's just you don't know what you're going to get week to week, game to game, play to play, and that's what's creating the frustration. I think if we had some level of consistency, uh, and I'm not sure you can you can get consistency. With judgment calls, and that's what Drew Brees was talking about afterwards. Is it's a judgment call. You got human beings making decisions. It's very, very rarely are going to come to some kind of consistency with that. But I think Sean Payton's point is a good one, and that is instead of having Al Riveron making being the czar and making these unilateral decisions by himself, there should be a, a quorum involved, multiple people. Because multiple people will probably arrive more often than not at the right decision. Uh, we see that in um, boxing. You see it in gymnastics where you have judges. There's multiple judges just to prevent one person from making a singular decision. Same thing in horse racing. There's three stewards at every race that rule on infractions and objections. Uh, why just one person in New York? Maybe they're trying to speed the game up, but something this important that's uh, affecting games. And the fact is, Larry, Joni was spot on. Everyone after this game was talking as much about Alex Kemp and the officials as they were about Drew Brees, Christian McCaffrey, and Michael Thomas. And that's not the way NFL games should be impacted. The officials should not be impacting the game as greatly as they are. And we, we're seeing it. And certainly in that game yesterday, the officials had as much of an influence on the game as any player or coach, and it shouldn't. It should never come to that, right? And I think that's why we're going to see the this rule be eliminated. It was a one year tryout. Let's see what happens. And uh, I think even Sean Payton agrees that this is just too much because uh, it affects the way you use challenges. It affects everything, and you lose a challenge on something that you that you figure could be overturned and it's not and we've seen so, so many uh to me especially say what last week with DeAndre Hopkins when he was basically mugged and they didn't overturn it and yet uh then you come into this game and you see uh Chauncey Gardner-Johnson get called for uh pass interference after uh, on a no call when Ron Rivera challenges the call and you're wondering wow that was called and yet DeAndre Hopkins was mugged, and that did not get overturned. And I think it's more about the inconsistency, like you said, Jeff, than, than anything else. Because I think everyone can admit that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson grabbed the receiver. I mean, we saw him do it. And one of my questions, a follow-up question to Al River on yesterday was, was it actually pass interference or was it actually holding? And the difference there was... Uh, it's holding if it's before the ball's out of Kyle Allen's hands, and then it's pass right. interference if it is out of his hands. And I don't—I had a hard time judging whether the ball was was out or still in his hand. So that was another element to that. And so, uh, yeah, I just think that the entire interpretation of all of this, uh, this particular case, I think is going to be pointed to as well because it happened in the dome and went against the Saints. But still, uh, I think it's just another example of why this rule is going to be gone. Well, here's some numbers for you, Larry. In the first 10 weeks of the 2019 season, coaches challenged 54 
combined offensive and pass, uh, offensive and defensive pass interference calls, and only five were successfully overturned. That's 11%. But from week four to week 10, just one of 33 challenges were successful uh, in getting overturned. So clearly the league has decided they're not going to overturn these things. I know the buzzword is clear and obvious. Uh, it has to be clear and obvious. In other words, they're going into the replay challenge uh, assuming the call on the field was correct, and it's going to have to be something clear and obvious to overturn it. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure that you could say that the grab by Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was any more clear and obvious than the non-phantom push-off by Jared Cook. It's all subjective, and that's what is just creating this chaos and a source of controversy and frustration for everyone involved. And I agree with you. I think they're going to do away with this thing because I think it's the unintended consequences of a well-intended rule change. But the implementation, for whatever reason, the NFL has decided they're not going to overturn these things very often. Uh, And I think Vic Fangio, the Broncos coach earlier this year, said it has to be a five-car pileup for them to overturn it. But that wasn't the case yesterday. I mean, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's grab was certainly not a five. It was a fender bender. It wasn't a five-car pileup, and yet it got overturned. That's what's causing the frustration. And if it's going to be like this, I don't think anybody wants it. I think they overturn it and, and do away with it one and done. Uh, the DeAndre Hopkins thing was like a 10-car pileup, and it still didn't get overturned. And yeah. the fender bender did. The fact that you've had these back-to-back weeks where one was blatant, still upheld. One was ticky-tacky. Could it have been called a holding penalty? Maybe, but who knows? It wasn't, but it wasn't flagged. And so when you go back and call it pass interference when it was not, like it wasn't to me blatant and obvious or whatever, uh, clear and obvious. I've already forgotten the buzzwords, even though I've used it so many times. But I think just the back-to-back weeks, this is just another example of like, what is going on here? And yet, give the Saints all the credit that they were able to overcome this. I mean, they, you know, they, that was on what, third down? And so Ron Rivera throws the challenge flag. He says, let me just take a shot at this because I'm not going to, I'm going to lose this timeout. I'm not going to get the ball back. I assume I'm going to make this field goal. And then, whatever. He wins the challenge. The Saints defense makes three more stops, forces a field goal, and then incredible athleticism by, we know Marcus Davenport is a great athlete, but boy, you've got to time that perfectly for it not to be a penalty. And if you're going to dog out the officiating, you got to give them credit for getting that call right. That he, he did not touch him. If you don't touch him, it's fair game. He did not touch anyone when he made the leap. Fair game. Joey Slide misses the chip shot. Saints go down and win. So we could beat the drum, beat the drum, beat the drum. But that call, they got it right. And I'm sure Panthers fans are bent because they feel like they didn't. But they did get that call right. Yeah, what an unbelievable athletic play. You know, we always hear Saints players say that Marcus Davenport's a freak athlete. Well, we saw it right there. You just don't see guys that big do something that athletic. Um, and, and I think the, the, the goal line stand has been overlooked in this whole thing. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, they had first and goal at the three and easily could have punched that in and to force the field goal. And I even 
said before he kicked it. I mean, this guy has been shaky. That was a huge series there to force him, after having missed two extra points, his his confidence had to be shaken. To force him to have to make a, a potential go-ahead field goal there was huge. Uh, so the defense gets a lot of credit there. And then, of course, the offense took over and did, did what they do. I had every confidence in the world that Breeze was going to take him down the field and get that ball in field goal range. Um, and look now, Larry, the, the Saints have a four-game lead. They have the biggest lead in the division of anyone in the NFL. Uh, and they are now the number two seed uh, thanks to that uh, game last night. Uh, they're one game behind San Francisco. And if they can take care of business against Atlanta – uh, you get San Francisco in the Superdome with a similar situation that they had last year against the Rams where you win the game and that becomes the tiebreaker, that head-to-head. So everything's right in front of the Saints despite all this adversity. And one of the things I guess we do need to talk about is the report about Taron Armstead potentially being out for multiple weeks. That's another key player that they're going to have to replace. And Jeff, I know they patchworked it yesterday with Patrick Omame and – uh, it also goes to show you that they're down two starting offensive linemen. If Andres Pete was there, you slide him over, and he's playing tackling. And Omame didn't play poorly, uh, you know. So credit to him for coming in in a pinch. It's not like Drew Brees was under fire and you know running for his life. So the fact that they were able to come in and do that, I think you got to give kudos to that. But but Jeff, what I also uh, uh, I think going forward. Uh, everyone's going to be looking ahead to that 49ers game. But, hey, the fact that the Saints lost to the Falcons, they know they're going in and they can't let that happen again. I think that's almost like a little blessing in disguise, uh, the fact that they lost to them and they're going to be fired up to go in on Thanksgiving night in their place uh, and knowing what's what's ahead, that you keep rolling, you keep rolling – you could get home field advantage. There's no going to be laying down or assuming that the Falcons are going to lay down and the Saints are going to have to come in uh, really on fire. And uh, even though Armstead doesn't look like he's going to be playing, uh, I do assume Lattimore's going to be back. So I think that is actually going to be uh, a plus for that Saints defense. Yeah, look, if there's a if there's a team you want to play on a short week of preparation – it's going to be someone like Atlanta, who you're quite familiar with. You're familiar with their personnel, their coaching staff. Uh, you just played them a few weeks ago. So I actually don't think the short week is a factor in any other way except for physically coming back if you got some guys banged up. And I think Peyton indicated uh, this week's going to be about you know physically getting guys off their feet. I think they're going to have the day off. They'll put together a game plan. Uh, but it's mainly going to be uh, – getting back physically for this game because mentally the Saints are quite familiar, probably more familiar with Atlanta and Atlanta vice versa with the Saints than any other team in the league. So I I really don't think that the short week is going to be a factor as far as preparations involved. Right. And then you look at the schedule going forward. uh, It's not like the Saints have a ton of uh, daunting opponents. Uh, Even though the 49ers beat the Packers, they still got to play the Ravens. Obviously they got to play the Saints. Uh, don't they have to play Seattle again, the Rams? Like, it's, so they've got potential landmines in front of them still. Uh, the Saints, they, they don't have as many of the landmines in front of them now. they got to play well uh, or you get beat, but still. Uh, the, their schedule uh, could shape up for the Saints to, I don't want to say, 
I'm not going to say cruise because if they don't play well, they lose. I mean, we've seen it. So uh, they have an easier task in front of them for the final five games of their season as opposed to what the Niners have. Yeah, the, the schedule, I mean, the way it shapes up, and again, I mean, the Saints' last two home games – uh, you know, where Carolina and Atlanta, and Atlanta, you thought they would, they were heavily favored in both, and they they barely won one, they lost the other. So nothing is given in the NFL. But the Saints, I would say, toughest opponents the rest of the season are San Francisco and Indianapolis, and they get both those games in the Superdome. And I think that that uh, December eighth game against the Niners is going to kind of be for all the marbles and the Saints uh, in the NFC. And I think the Saints in those situations, they're just very tough. But that's going to be a street fight. And what worries me a little bit about that game, watching the way the 49ers uh, got after Green Bay yesterday, they're so dominant defensive line-wise. If the Saints can't get Pete and or Armstead back by then, uh, that's going to be difficult. That's going to be a very difficult blocking assignment for that young, inexperienced left side of the line um, against the 49ers' front. So, We'll see how this progresses, but injuries are becoming a concern, and they weren't a concern for this team just a few weeks ago for the most part. Absolutely. All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast. But also, of course, if you listen to this, you can listen to every podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network, especially if you're a subscriber to the Athletics. So make sure you get that done. But go check out the mailroom. It connects you with the Best of the Athletics NFL writers every week. Amy Parlapiano is joined by an exclusive guest to answer NFL questions directly from you, the subscriber, in this exclusive podcast. Our latest episodes coming up. NFL analyst, host of the Football Fact Check, David Damashek, is this week's special guest in the mailroom answering your questions like, what's your ideal uniform matchup in the Super Bowl? Will Pat Shermer be back? And should Old Man Rivers, ouch, man, should Old Man Rivers retire? Of course, uh, more questions and all kinds of fun. So go check out the mailroom on the Athletics Podcast Network. So I want to thank Danielle, as always, our incredible producer. And I'm going to tease that maybe another podcast is going to be coming out, a bonus podcast. I'm just going to leave it there. It's going to be coming out very soon, so don't go too far away from the Duncan Holder podcast uh, special pod. I'm not even going to tell you the subject because it's a fun one. Uh, Jeff and I had a fun time doing it, so keep your ears and eyes open for that podcast coming up within the next day or so. So come on back, check it out. So for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us here on Duncan Holder, and uh, we will be back with you coming up later on this week. Thanks for listening.